0: Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. Good morning. Thank you, Ruth. As always, thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Shamel. It's just nice to see loads of uh, loads of faces on the screen. That's my favourite thing uh, during a Sunday, is I get to see loads of people. Um, my name is Amy. I'm one of the pastors here at FBC, and I just want to start by saying hi. How are you? How are you doing? I hope you've enjoyed your week. I certainly have. Congratulations to all the Liverpool fans out there. Yvonne strangely uh, forgot to mention that. don't know why. <coughs> Man United fan. Anyway, we are going to... We'll move on. Uh, we are going to uh, be looking at Colossians 1. Um, we're like on part 1 of our part 4 series, kind of going through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians. And so as a little bit of background before we uh, jump in... Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, but we don't actually believe that he started this church, or um, really had ever been, um, but likely this church was probably a result of his time in uh, three years in Ephesus, because uh, the Colossians lived just 100 miles away, and what likely happened was the converts from uh, his missionary time there probably spread out and actually started the church in with the Colossians, perhaps by this guy um, I'm gonna really struggle to say. There's a lot of Greek words in today's um, and Greek names. I'm gonna butcher all of them. But let's this a guy called Epaphras. Maybe um, he's mentioned in the letter. He he might have started that church. But essentially the purpose of this letter was to equip the church to fend off false teaching arising within the community. It's written about AD 60 and Paul's writing this letter in prison to remind believers of the wonderful hope of the gospel. Not to turn aside or fall victim to those who would minimize Christ and lead the church into a different philosophies and humanism. But no, the heavenly hope of glory, the mystery hidden reserved for this generation, is Jesus, our anointed Messiah, and that is our hope. Today, we're going to just read uh, six really short verses from Colossians 1. Um, they, uh, they're just a short amount, and it's, it's trying, to, uh, trying to kind of compact something really big. But I think these six verses hold a really simple truth. And if we get it, if we get this truth that I want to kind of try and convey this morning, I think it's going to be absolutely life-changing. I know it's changed my life. And so are you ready to do some, like, life-changing this morning? That's, that's my aim. I've set the aim high this morning. We want to change some lives. So let's read verses 9 through to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul's prime request is that the Colossians may be filled with uh, the knowledge of God's will. It's significant that the knowledge of the will of God is looked on as preceding a life that is pleasing to him. This word that is used fulfilled filled pleru suggests the idea of filling out to completeness. Hence, the thought is that the imperfection and inadequacy of our knowledge of God's will must be more and more corrected by our growth in a deeper understanding of who God is. Such knowledge is not the product of fleshly wisdom of the world. We kind of puff up our own brain because that doesn't enlighten us on the inside. No, this knowledge comes from the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We ask Holy Spirit to fill us, to show us who God is. We commune with him and then we expand and understand God's will on our lives. It's Holy Spirit who gives that wisdom, that understanding which enables us to know the will of God, his will for us. You see, living a life worthy of the Lord is built on and grows out of knowing the will of God. It's as a result of knowing God being filled by God, that we walk out this life. Living a life translates a single word, peripatise, that literally means to walk. As we walk with God, as we spend time with him, we walk out his will for our life and live a life that pleases him. The result being of this, being filled with this clear knowledge of his will is easy to see because for the more as we, as God's children, we know him, the more that we know Him, the more that we will also love Him, and the more that we love Him, the more we will also wish to please Him in thought, word, and deed. We know this, don't we? We know that we can see it in our friendships, in our relationships. I remember this year I hit a, a new low in a friendship uh, where I am um, sent my friend and me doing an impersonation of a dog, in, in no worldly. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking apart from I know that this friend really likes when I do stupid things. I also know that this friend uh, loves dogs. And so I put the two together. It was awful. But the point being, why? Because I knew this person. And as as I've grown to know them, I've grown to love them. And as I've grown to love them, I'm like, I just want to please you. I just want to make your life better. I just want to do it. It's it's a natural reaction. I remember texting her when she said, thank you, saying, mate, truth is I do anything for you. And that's the truth is that when we love someone, when we know them, that is a natural consequence of those two things. He asks us to walk out this life, but he doesn't ask us to do it alone. He strengthens us with his power. This word translated as strengthened is the same word used in Philippians which says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul prays that they may live a life pleasing to God but it's with this complementary thought in mind that they may know the strengthening of God for such a life. It's this strength it's according to his glorious might. It's not proportioned simply by our need but It's proportioned by God's abundant supply. It suggests that for every requirement, there is power available. No matter how wide the demand, how difficult by human standards, there is always available resources, divine resources to match. You see, living a life pleasing to the Lord, knowing He will strengthen you. It changes everything. It's it's the fact that we know that he will provide the power. He doesn't ask us to live to this standard and then say, make it on your own. He says, come and live up here. I will make it possible for you. It's not an impossible standard, guys. You know, and it's significant that this receiving of power is a continuous experience. Strengthen translates the continuous present participle. Who knew that grammar was important? But it is because this word uh, is dunamumine, mene, mene, mene. definitely how you pronounce it. But the, the, it's, it, this word is a is continuous present participle, meaning... That it's not, we don't receive this initial deposit and then we have to live off that for the rest of our life. No, we can expect, confidently expect that God who came to us in the first place, who filled us with his power in the, in the first place will continue to strengthen us, will continue to pour out his love, pour out his strengthening power. It says, doesn't it, in verse nine, be filled, be filled. We pray continually that you will be filled. It's an ongoing thing because it's not circum circumstances which finally determine the power of god the phrase according to his glorious power suggests that the ultimate pledge of being strengthened is the power inherent in god himself we have access to this whole wealth of his power you see the word used for power kratos is in the new testament only used of god only god it's this essential divine power which is manifest, manifested to us, it is shown to us and becomes in us dunamis which translated, is translated here as strength. It energises us and enables us to live lives that will please him. Let me read verse 11 in the Passion Translation for you. And we pray that you would be energised with all his explosive power from the realm of his magnificent glory filling you with great hope. Let me continue on actually. Let's read verse 12, 13, 14 Jamie if you don't mind. Your hearts can soar with a joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. For in the son all our sins are canceled. And we have the release of redemption through his very blood. I want to break this down this morning. Um, that sounded like I was about to rap. I'm not. He has um, he's taken us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Through Jesus, through his blood, all our sins are cancelled. And we have been released into redemption. Therefore, receive your inheritance. For God has made you worthy. You see, once for all, we've been delivered. I actually have a friend who has that um, tattooed once for all on her uh, on, on her shoulder. And we used to tease her at Bible college that she was a great Three Musketeers fan. That's not true. Uh, it's, it's, she, she got that tattooed on her because she, she had this great revelation of actually Jesus died once for all. You see, uh, he died once to take us not from darkness into semi-darkness, but out of dismal darkness into marvelous light. You see, this kingdom realm of his beloved Son—the words that are used there—it's it's, it's far, far more than, than you know, just just beloved. It's it's this Son who is the only begotten of the Father is the the uh, not only the eternal object of the Father's love, but it's also Jesus is the embodiment and expression of that love in gracious dealings with mankind. Thus, uh, to be translated into the kingdom of his son is to move from from the loveless condition of darkness and death into a spiritual realm in which we have the love of God shed upon us, poured out upon upon us abundantly. I'm tripping over my words because I'm excited. This is important. We need to understand that we have been moved from one kingdom into the other. You know, I think one of the biggest lies that the church experience is that they believe that they are sinful and have to live under the weight of their sin for the rest of their lives. That you've got to carry around a bag of shame because you don't because God has removed you from it. I'm going to expand it a bit more, but I need you to understand that we need to break that lie today. You see, through Jesus, our sins are cancelled and gone completely. Just as according to Israel's ancient law, the forfeited life could be ransomed, so our life forfeited through sin. We gave it up through sin. It was ransomed by the shedding of Christ's blood. Through the Christ's payment of a ransom and our faith in him, we have obtained from the Father the forgiveness or remission, removal of our sins. The chains that held us fast, the sin that bound us, that has been broken right now. It's been broken over you. <laughs> um, when I was at Bible college, and um, one of my lecturers, Tim Davey, he, he um, drummed into us, you need to understand the spectacles that you're seeing things through. It one, it's a phrase that's really stuck with me. And what we need to understand, we need to understand that when God looks at us, he sees us through the spectacles or the glasses of uh, Jesus. You see, if I took my glasses off right now, you've actually all disappeared. <laughs> I can't see anything. But when I put these glasses on, things become clear, and I desperately need them. We need to understand that when when we used to stand before God, before Jesus, we were blurred by our sin. It was a separation between us. But when Jesus died for us, God now sees us always through the blood of Jesus, making us clean. Does that make sense? We have... we're clean, guys. He doesn't, he, he doesn't see us with this sin that separated us once separates us no more. It's really important that you get this. You see, we have teachers that the believer's redemption is a present possession. It's for right now. It's not for some far-off day. It's for right now that you can receive this. Apathus, which means forgiveness, is literally ascending away. It thus speaks of the removal Of our sins from us so that they are no longer barriers that separate us from God. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our sins for us. Psalm 103 verse 12. Can can I say that happened before Jesus? Just as a point, this was always the plan to redeem you. Hear that? Always the plan to redeem you. Before Jesus walked on this earth, God had written these words down. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our sins from us. Redemption and forgiveness, they're not exactly parallel or identical concepts, but by putting the two terms in opposition to each other, Paul teaches that the central feature of redemption is the forgiveness of sins. We have been redeemed because our sins are forgiven. They're gone. So therefore, receive your inheritance. You see, our new position is illustrated against an Old Testament background. When the tribes entered Canaan, they received a portion of their inheritance. And we have been brought into, uh, with, through Christ into a spiritual Canaan, into the light of fellowship with God. Already we are rich in God's gifts to us. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. How much richer could we get? And we look forward to the perfection of our inheritance the day that we stand before our Father in heaven. Fully accepted. This entry, it's not due to our own merits, but because, because of God, for Christ's sake, has given us a title. I wanna put it to you like this. My mum, until she was 26, was a Suluk, And when she was 26, she married my dad and became a Barnet. Um, and she received a title. She became a Mrs. But she also received the title of Mrs. Barnett. And that um, entitled her to everything my dad had. It was what, what was, you know, what was mine is yours and all. Of, I don't know the marriage files. I haven't been married. I don't need to know them yet. But the point being that, that when, when she became a Barnett, she, she was entitled to everything that my, had, my dad had. When he earned money, she had an entitlement to it. Does this make sense? You see, uh, we need to stop the lie that we need to somehow, we've just gotta stop this lie that we've gotta wait until heaven for us, for us to live differently. No, 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 we have been given a title right. Now it would be weird if my mum she will always have been a Suluk. We will have always have had a sinful past. That is just who we are. We are always going to mess up. This, this, is, this is OK. But father is strengthening us to do even more, more greater, powerful things. You see, it'd be weird if my mum, after becoming a bonnet, kept referring to herself as Suluk and ignoring everything my father had provided. That'd be weird. Just be totally weird. Why? Because, because her life is different now. We need to understand that our title has changed. And we are now sons of the royal high, high king. Um, there was a great guy that um, was part of our church for a, for, for a while, um, Ron Sims. He's now um, with Jesus in heaven. But I remember him in a prayer meeting um, using this analogy, and it's really stuck with me, which is that the devil uh, is the best poker player you'll ever meet. He's got absolutely nothing in his hand, and yet he's convinced, even though that you've got the greatest hand in the world, he's convinced you that it's worth nothing. Guys, we have been given every great gift that we could ever possibly want or ask for. And yet we're living like we're paupers. We're living like we have nothing. This, um, yeah, let me, let me say this, and I want to, yeah, the, God's made us worthy. The best comment on this verse is Paul's statement in two, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4 to 5. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. It is God who makes worthy those in themselves who are not worthy and who thus enables them to have a share in the inheritance. I, I told you right at the beginning I wanted to go after life-changing today. Why? Because this truth, when I got it, changed my life. I was somebody who, for the majority of their Christian life, lived like a pauper with absolutely nothing. And I don't mean physically, I mean like literally. I knew in my head that God loved me, but I didn't live it out in my heart. I didn't believe I was worth anything. And I, and I could read the truths of the Bible, I could read all that the Bible told me, that God loved me, that he sent his son for me, that he had redeemed me, he, had, he, he enjoyed spending time with me, all of these things, and yet none of it made sense in my heart until I went for a sozo, actually. And I went about three or four years ago, probably actually four or five now, and I went to this sozo session and I remember halfway through just getting really frustrated and saying, this is not why I'm here. I need, I'm here because I need, need to solve this. I can't keep living like this. And in one of the most unusual times for me, I, I'm not someone who rocks the boat. I'm really not. Um, but something within me was stirring, and I really believe it was Holy Spirit. And so they said, okay, Amy, can you tell us the first time you remember not feeling worthy? And so I told them this memory, and I'm not going to share it here for, for reasons that are personal and because I don't want uh, to... It's not good for things to live on the internet forever. But what I can tell you is that this, this, is, this, this, this was a moment that was traumatic for me and where things were spoken and said over me that were well, the, the, the worst that you can think, that's what was happening in this memory. So I just want you to know that this, the, the hatred and the, the pain that I felt in this memory were so real. I, I told them this memory. And they said, okay, let's stop and let's replay this. But I want you to ask where Jesus was in the room. And as... Uh, as the memory replays, um, as real as this TV screen and camera in front of me, as Avon's to uh, my left and Jamie to my right, as, as real as this is right now, I want to tell you that I felt Jesus stand in front of me as real as anything. And he stood in front of me as all this hell of abuse came towards me. All of these awful words, he stood in front of me and he shielded me. And he looked me in my eyes and caught my gaze and it was like nothing else mattered. And he said, Amy, I call you worthy. And in that moment, in that really profound moment that was as real to me as anything will ever be, in that moment, something changed for me. And the only way I can explain it is that um, it was like for my entire life, for anyone who's been camping, you'll know that these um, camping poles, they, most of the year they, they lie in a bag held together by a piece of string but fully broken. And that's what it felt like to me, that I'd, I'd spent my whole life, I'd been held together roughly by the, these pieces of string that I could roughly string my life onto, but I wasn't functioning. I couldn't hold anything up. And in that moment, as Jesus called me worthy, as I understood that he had made me worthy, he had redeemed me, he had taken my sins away. As, he, as that moment happened... It was like uh, these uh, tent poles slotted into place and I was suddenly fit and ready to function. And since that day, there are days where sometimes I forget these trees and I go back to that moment because since that day, something's desperately changed inside of me and my life has been changed. I know that I don't deserve it, but I know that he has given it to me and I want to fully receive it. You see, um, that's just a story you could say, but it's fully backed up by these scriptures. Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance. God has made you worthy and we need to stop living like we're not. Um, I've just got a couple more things I want to say before we go into a time of worship. Um, I um, remember being in Spain. um, I spent two months in Spain in a rehab centre working with um, drug-addicted women and I remember coming back to Bible College and I had to do a presentation on it in order to earn a grade for my time out there. And I remember um, just talking about the experience. And for me, it was possibly one of the worst experiences I've had on a mission trip. And I couldn't really put my finger on it until I got back home. And actually, in the middle of this presentation, I remember my lecturer saying to me, Amy, what, what was the issue? What was going on? And as and it was like, as these words came out of my mouth, suddenly everything made sense. And it was I said, well, these women, they... Uh, they they were rescued off the street off and, and like honestly I've been I saw where they were rescued from like they they some of them lived on the edge of a of a dump that you could smell for miles away and they would just rot their life away they were rescued from this like just this absolute darkness it's honestly the darkest place I've ever been as to that rubbish dump they were rescued from that and brought into uh, this home and they were told that they were princesses of the king that they were loved and that they were chosen. And yet we asked them to wake up every day at five and work through to midnight. They had to go around the, the city to beg for their food. They were never brought any new food. They weren't brought new clothes. And I remember, um, and, and, and most of that, there's a lot to do with kind of financial stuff in there, but, but what I remember was that we kept telling them in every single morning devotion how loved they were, how chosen they were by God, and yet we asked them to live like paupers. And I was like, what are we bringing them into? If they are daughters of the king, then why are they living like that? And I wanna ask you, if you are a daughter of the king, if you are a son of the king, then why are you still living like a pauper? Why? Because this is freely given, so freely receive. I wanna finish by um, quoting a song which I am definitely gonna have forgotten, but it's, um, it's Boldly I Approach Your Throne. I don't know if, Steve, if you could put up in the comments for me, the, the, the first few verses and the lyrics um, and the chorus, but I think it says, by grace alone somehow I stand, where even angels fear to tread, invited by a redeeming love. And I've forgotten a lot of it, but it says, when Sempton tempts me to despair, And reminds me of my sin. I hear the voice that scatters fear. The great I am, the Lord is here. I praise the one who fights for me and shields my soul eternally. So boldly, I'll approach your throne. Blameless now, I'll run home. Because by your blood I come, welcomed as your own, into the arms of majesty. There's an invitation, guys, this morning to step into your inheritance to realise that you've been made worthy. We have, for the first time, we have Zoom prayer after this. The ID is in the comments. And I want to say, if you don't fully believe that you are worthy, then please would you go to that Zoom uh, waiting room. Don't worry that if, if there's a load of people there, it will just take time to go through, but just stay there and fight for this this morning because you have been made worthy. You have been redeemed. Your sins have been cancelled. As far as the East is from the West, so far they've been removed from you and it's got absolutely nothing to do with you, but it's all by God's grace. So receive it this morning because I tell you, if you get it, your life will be changed. Can I pray for you? And then we're going to go into time of worship. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you love us and that you freely gave your son for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for us. That by your blood, we have been set free. By your blood, all of our faults, all of our sins have been washed clean. And so we get to stand before you in perfect harmony. And so, Father, today I choose to embrace the inheritance that you have given me so freely. I choose to believe that you've called me worthy, not because of anything I've done, but because of everything that you've done. Would you change me from the inside? Would you remove all the darkness from me and would you implant into me the kingdom of light? Would I know that I am loved? Would I know that I am worthy? And would I know that I am seen by you? In your holy and precious name. Amen.